You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Uh, happy February. It's a Black History Month, if you didn't know. Happy Black History Month. And uh, what is, why do we have Black History Month? Is it just for black people? No, it's supposed to be for everybody, and it's, uh, it's remembering all the rich black history we have in this country. Uh, it's kind of, if you don't know the history of it, um, it, it kind of came out of something in 1926 was instituted Black History Week, and that came out of um, the uh, Abraham Lincoln's birthday and uh, Frederick Douglass', Douglass birthday is on uh, February 14th. They're close together, and those are both two... Uh, dates that were celebrated by the black community for a long time. So there was Black History Week, and then in 1976 was officially recognized Black History Month, uh, the month of February. Some people, you know, some people don't like it. Some people say, well, you know, black history is all of our history. It's all year should be black history, which, hey amen, I, I get that. So I'm just going along with the flow. So it's Black History Month, and uh, we wanted to highlight uh, some, some people from black history. So we're going to be uh, Davida's going to share a little bit about that next week. Uh, but I wanted to show this uh, quote from Frederick Douglass that I got uh, out of my son's textbook uh, about a month ago. I saw this, I said, oh, that's really good. And it was really, it seems so appropriate with everything going on in our country right now. It was like, amazing. This is from 1851. But he said, I consider it settled the black and white people of America ought to share a common destiny. And, uh, you know, that's what uh, is so cool about our church is that it's a very diverse group for, uh, for churches. You know, most churches tend to have kind of a homogeneous group on a Sunday. It's either more of a black church or more of a white church, or more of an Asian church, or more of a Latino church. And God has just blessed us that we have a fellowship that's very diverse. If you look around, we've got a lot of diversity in the group. We could always do better. Uh, but we are really striving to be a group that represents our, our community Amen. and really, really grateful for that. Uh, but uh, anyways, so the, the uh, kind of taking a cue from Black History Month, I actually saw the, uh, I finally saw the movie Hidden Figures. How many of you guys have seen that? Woo! It's an awesome movie if yeah. you haven't seen it. I really, really highly, highly recommend it. Uh, but the title of the lesson today is Hidden Figures. And... Um, we're going to be talking about uh, spiritual, those who've gone before us spiritually who we might not know about or we don't know their names, we haven't heard about them. The whole idea of hidden figures, if you haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's a, the story of these women who were working for NASA and made a huge contribution to uh, the space program, but we haven't really heard their stories until now. And, uh, and there's spiritual people like that. And in a spiritual sense, we're here today because of the faith of countless brothers and sisters who've gone before us, who've made sacrifices, who've uh, faced opposition and didn't back down, who, you know, in their own uh, commitment to Christ made a huge difference. We might not know their name, but we're here today because of them. And we're going to talk a little bit today about uh, one set of people that 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 applies to in the book of Acts, if you want to be turning over there in the book of Acts. Um, On your app, how many of you guys have the South Bay app? A lot of you guys are getting that. If you want to go to the App Store, it's available. Uh, But on the app, if you click on notes, the notes from the lesson today will be on there. And you can follow along. There's where there's a little square. It looks like it doesn't have a lot of space, but you can put as much notes in that square as you want if you want to take your own notes. And then there's a few fill in the blanks kind of towards the end. 
So we're going to be looking at Acts, uh, mostly we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. Uh, I've got um, a scripture we're going to look at here at the beginning of Acts, but I'm going to say a prayer and then we'll jump into the book of Acts. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you for being able to open your word and what a powerful and uh, incredible opportunity it is to hear from you. Uh, we believe that these words are from you, God, that they're inspired by you through the Holy Spirit as you spoke through men of God who wrote down your messages that have, have uh, continued to this day and are here for us to discover you through these uh, ancient texts. Thank you for the book of Acts that was written down by Luke as he investigated thoroughly everything that was happening back then in the first century and conducted lots of interviews and was so close to Paul and just heard these stories. Thank you for uh, being able to uh, participate in, uh, in learning from your word right now together. And I pray that uh, you'd open our hearts to your scriptures. I pray that nothing would keep us from hearing what your Holy Spirit wants to convey. Amen. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Acts, uh, beginning of Acts, uh, Acts picks up where Luke left off, the book of Luke, which is the story of Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> Acts was written by the same guy, uh, Luke the, the doctor. And uh, so it's kind of like Luke part two. And the whole point of Acts is kind of giving us the history of this transition from uh, Christianity being this small group of Jews to being a worldwide, uh, global, uh, mostly even Gentile movement. And so you kind of progress uh, the gospel from Peter and the apostles then to Paul and then kind of it ends with him in Rome. So it's this idea of going from, you know, this small little bit in Jerusalem on to the rest of the world. And we, uh, we see that in this, contained in this one verse, Acts 1 verse 8. Um, Jesus has risen from the dead at this point, but he hasn't gone back to the Father. He says he spent 40 days with them speaking about the kingdom of God, his own, the, the kingdom that he had brought to institute. So he spends these last days before he goes to heaven explaining to them, helping them understand the kingdom of God. And then they ask, should we stay here? Should we go somewhere else? He says, no, you need to stay here in Jerusalem. And it says in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus' plan was to bring a ministry that would change the world. It was, it was to bring a, a truth and a teaching, something that was not just for his own collection of, of followers, but something that was for all people, for all time, for all nations. Right. And uh, we did a series in, in December called Change the World, looking at Jesus' method. And what you might remember from that series is that Jesus, as in an effort to change the whole world, he doesn't run for public office. He doesn't write a book. He doesn't go on Oprah. You know, he doesn't establish a cable network. He doesn't come at this time in history and set up a website. What does he do? He chooses some friends and builds friendships with them and pours himself into them and he expects commitment from them to this movement. And uh, men were his method. He, he didn't write anything down. He didn't leave anything like that for us. He just worked through men. He invested himself in men. And uh, he focused on the few in order to reach the many. Remember talking about that? Yeah. And uh, so at the end of Jesus' ministry here in the book of Acts, the beginning, there's really only about 120 committed followers to his movement. Uh, there might be a few more. Paul talks about Jesus appearing to 500 different people. Uh, so maybe some of them were more committed or not. But in, in the beginning of Luke, it talks about the 120, these 120 disciples that were, so that, that was his group. 
That's right. And so, you know, it's kind of amazing. You think about the, the savior of the world, the creator of the universe, comes to the, the planet Earth. He has a three-year ministry, and at the end of it, there's 120 people. You know, a group probably about this size. And so if you, if you were one of those people, you might feel like, wow, uh, what are we doing? What, what impact are we having? We're just a small little group of people, right? And yet his plan was to win the world one by one and soul by soul. And, and to do that through calling people to an exceptional commitment, something that's beyond what you really see in first century, in, in a modern day Christianity. First century Christianity, it was the real deal. You know, Jesus says things like, if you want to be my follower, you must carry your own cross and follow me. Like, you got to be committed to the death. Right. He says, thing, he says that in, in Luke 9 and other places. He says in, in Luke 14, unless you give up everything you have, you cannot be my follower. Uh, he was pretty radical in his call. And, and, and that's the way he was going to change the world, is having people who were individually sold out for Jesus Christ, who were individually totally committed. There were times when thousands of people were following Jesus, but in those times, what did he do? He didn't try to cater to the crowd, did he? He, he sort of thinned the crowd out. Uh, in John 6, we looked at in, in one of our lessons in the, in the Change the World series about how there was these thousands of people following him. Jesus says... He turns to this, these massive crowds and he says, unless you eat my blood, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can't be my follower, in John 6. And you just picture being one of his apostles like, what is he talking about? What is he doing? We're going to lose these people. And what happened? Well, many of them did stop following him because they said, this teaching is hard. I don't really get it. It's hard to understand. And if you're really going to follow Jesus, frankly, there will be times you don't understand. And there will be times that his teaching is like, I don't really get it, but because he's Jesus, I'm going to follow. Because he's Jesus, I'm going to obey. And that's what their answer was in that time in John 6, was because you're Jesus, you have the words of eternal life, we're going to follow you, we trust you. And so uh, in the book of Acts, we see uh, all that Jesus had set up start to play out. And so we see in Acts 2, 3,000 people get baptized in one day. And then the, God keeps adding to their number. Pretty soon it's 5,000. And then more and more people become disciples. And so this strong uh, foundation multiplies. And so thousands and thousands of people are becoming disciples in, in these early chapters of Acts. Acts 6, you know, you get thousands of people together. And they're all trying, you know, the Bible describes this group where they're, they're sharing everything and they're together all the time. And, and God is, is working in their midst and miracles are happening and everybody is filled with awe, it says. It's just, wow, this is amazing to be together. God is doing awesome things. But you know what happened? Division in the church. And uh, there was ethnic division in the church in Acts 6. Uh, there, it was still just a Jewish movement, but within the Jewish movement, there was ethnic division. The he Hebraic Jews, the Jews that were from Hebrew background, and then the Greek Jews, the Jews that were more kind of... The, the mainstream uh, and from Greek background, there was a conflict between the Hebraic Jews and the Greek Jews in Acts 6. Right. And what was happening is the Greek Jews were being overlooked, the widows were being overlooked in the food as they would give food to uh, the widows and those who were poor. Somehow the Greek Jews are getting left out. And so this isn't right. And so there's complaint and there's issues in the church. And so they choose these men, these seven men in, uh, in Acts 6 to, to oversee this and to make sure it happens and the needs are met. And, and God works through that. And, and these men who are chosen go on to become powerful evangelists, Stephen and Philip and others. And Stephen, one of those men who's chosen, uh, is, 
he's, he preaches the word boldly. He's a young man of faith. He's, he's making a huge difference, uh, arguing with people for the truth of the gospel. And uh, in, in Acts 7 is his, uh, his, this great sermon when he's on trial. He's on trial for his faith, and he delivers an awesome sermon. So I want to give you an assignment this week, and that is to uh, read Stephen's sermon in its entirety or listen to it. We can't uh, we don't have time to read through it today, but I love it because it's a great overview of the narrative of God's story. Because he goes all the way through the whole Old Testament in one speech. And, uh, and gives all this, this kind of history of God's people. And he ends it, uh, at the end of this sermon, he just goes for it. He is, uh, you know, he, he's speaking to the religious leaders of the day. He's speaking to the guys who have political power in his community. He's speaking to the men that if you're a Jewish parent, you hope your kids grow up to be somebody like these men, the Sanhedrin or the, the Pharisees. These are moral men. These are upstanding men. You, know, you, you kind of look up to these guys, and, and, and Stephen is preaching to them. And here's what he says to them in verse 51 of Acts 7, if you're there. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Circumcision was the, the thing that made you a Jew. But he says, yeah, you might be an outward Jew, but your hearts and your ears, you don't get what God is really trying to tell you. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. Wow, Stephen goes for it there, doesn't he? Yeah. Why? Because he knew that religious pride is really hard to cut through. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I really believe there are so many people even in our country who are blinded by religious pride. I've seen it before. Yeah. Just talking with somebody about the Bible, you just look at scriptures. All you're doing is looking at scriptures and people get so angry. Uh, because they, they feel threatened or they feel like, well, you're judging me or, you know, this sounds pretty judgmental to me. I wouldn't have the, the, the audacity to, to say this to somebody. You stiff-necked person. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit. You're just like all those people that killed the prophets. That's a pretty hard line. And uh, in their response, it says they gnashed their teeth at him. Ugh. <laughs> covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voice as they rushed him. I just picture these men in robes, and, and you know, they're, they're supposed to be these upstanding, uh, proud uh, religious men, and they cover their ears like little kids that don't like to hear, no, 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 I can't hear you. <laughs> cover their ears, and they rush at him. It says yelling at the top of their voices. They rush at him, and they drag him outside, and they begin to stone him. Which, uh, which is their uh, method of execution. They rush it. They, they, they weren't even supposed to be allowed to ex execute someone. That's why they brought Jesus to the Romans. But they were so filled with fury, they just couldn't help themselves, and they took him outside, and, and they start throwing rocks at him until, until he dies. And as they're, as they're uh, stoning him in verse 59, it says, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When they'd said this, when he'd said this, he fell asleep. Wow, who does that sound like as he died? Does it sound like Jesus? Would you say Stephen was a true blue disciple of Jesus? It's so, so inspiring. Uh, 
what a way to, what a testimony of faith. And then it says uh, here in the beginning of Acts 8, Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So think about, you know, imagine you're one of these disciples in the city of Jerusalem, and this happens to your brother Stephen. Stephen's one of those seven men who did something great for the church. Uh, you know, he's put on trial. People are probably praying for him. And then you hear that he's been martyred. You hear that he's been murdered. And not only that, but this, this young Pharisee, Saul, is dragging off, it says dragging people, going from house to house, he's dragging off people and putting them in prison. Uh, there's something scary about that house to house. You never know when he's coming to your house. You never know when Saul is coming. Yeah. You know, imagine being a family, like somebody's knocking at the door, oh no, I hope that's not Saul. Right. Uh, this guy that's just, he seems like he just has it out for the church for some reason. <laughs> imagine the mood in the church. This dear brother who's been serving in the church for years is now gone. And, and, you know, you're happy for him, he's with Jesus, but you feel sad that he's gone. And, uh, you know, what would the mood be like in the church? Uh, you know, what, what, what would be the feeling? And, and I, I just, I think about this because we just lost somebody dear to us in the church, Kevin Maines, you know, who, who led here for a, a long time, many years ago. He, he left our area in 2005, but many of you were around back then. Uh, Kevin was really dear to my wife and I. They, Kevin and Mary discipled us and trained us and mentored us from about 97 to about 2005. And that was through some important times in our life. Uh, going into the ministry, all three of our kids being born, some of the difficulties and crises we had in the church in 2003, they were very much like Act 6, where there's, there's issues in the church, and, Paul, uh, and uh, uh, God used Kevin to kind of navigate us through that, just like is recorded here. And, uh, you know, he, he died of a heart attack a couple weeks ago now, and uh, it's been difficult. It's been hard. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot of you were at the memorial yesterday, and um, but... Even in the sorrow and in the sadness, there's something inspiring about his witness. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of what it must have been like with Stephen passing. That, that there might have been the temptation to get quiet, the temptation to back down. You know, look what happened to him. I don't want to share my faith. Uh, this guy Saul is out there. Who knows what he could do? And yet, that's not what happened. It says in Acts 8 verse 4, those who'd been scattered preach the word wherever they went. This great persecution that breaks out, Saul is after them, you know, it's, it's dangerous to be a Christian, and yet what are they, what's their response? They preach the word wherever they went. All these men and women of faith. You know, think about your own witness. Think about your own uh, testimony to the gospel. Uh, what does Satan have to do to get you to be quiet? You know, how difficult is it for you? How difficult is it to silence you from your testimony? How hard is it to keep you from sharing your faith? How hard for the spiritual opposition to keep you blind to the lost souls around you? Yeah. I appreciate uh, the teens going out on Friday. I appreciate Joshua Foster sharing. Amen. And we can all relate to that, you know? Uh, if, you, if you want to see that Satan is real, schedule a sharing time or a prayer time, and watch the spiritual opposition happen. Yeah. Watch how difficult it is for people to show up. Watch how difficult it is for you to get there and make it happen. If you say, hey, you know, 
I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna spend three hours and play video games on Tuesday. That's gonna happen. It's not gonna be hard. But if you say, I'm gonna spend three hours on Tuesday and pray, you just watch. It will be so difficult to make that time happen because Satan knows that prayer and preaching is the way the gospel's advanced. And uh, I think we, we kind of blind our eyes to the spiritual battle we're in sometimes and we want to sort of hide out in our houses yeah. instead of being like these bold uh, men and women of faith that preach the word everywhere they went. Come on. Uh, and so we're going to shift, uh, the, 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 the narrative shifts to uh, Simon, who's a, another one of the, uh, the seven who was chosen, and Philip and, uh, and what they did and, and the conversion of, of the Ethiopian and the conversion of, of these other men. But, uh, and then we, we hear about the conversion of Saul himself in Acts 9. So this, this big villain of the story becomes a disciple in Acts 9. And that must have been so amazing. And, and in, in the story, it talks about Ananias, this man of faith who God, God sends to minister to Paul and to teach him and to baptize him. God always works through people. Even though God appeared to Saul personally, he still sends somebody to follow up. You know, that's how God works. He uses people. Man. And uh, Ananias' response was like, wait a minute. You, <laughs> this, is, this is the villain. This is Saul yeah. we're talking about. This is the spiritual boogeyman. Exactly. You want me to go? And, and God's like, yes, Ananias. I said, go. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, that's how God works. He uses people. And Saul becomes a Christian. And it was amazing. And then we hear about, uh, kind of to give us context for what we're about to read, we hear about the first Gentile conversion, the first Gentile family that was baptized. And that is the centurion and his family in Acts 10. And we'll pick up the story in Acts 11. So Acts 11, 19 picks up where Acts 8, verse 4 just left off. So we're, we're kind of back. Luke, Luke takes a, a, a step away and kind of tells these other stories. And now we're back to these people. We're talking about these hidden figures, these men and women. We don't know their names. We just know they were the ones who were scattered by the persecution uh, in connection with Stephen. So Acts eleven nineteen. Everybody there? Okay, it says, now those who've been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen being killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So... Again, these men and women are preaching the word everywhere they went, and they carry the gospel with them into areas where the gospel had never yet been preached. And so just to show you a map here, this is a, a map of the Holy Land, and uh, this is Judea, Jerusalem is there, this is the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus' whole ministry, this is about 100 miles here. Jesus' whole ministry was here and here. He grew up in Nazareth, Nazareth, which is kind of out in the desert right about there. And he spent a lot of time in the Galilee. That was most of his ministry. But then he'd go down to Jerusalem and he'd go through Samaria. So we hear some of those stories. Oh, somebody bumped it. Um, so so G the farthest north Jesus ever went, he went up here to Tyre and Sidon. But that was more just him and his disciples kind of on a getaway almost. That's where he asked them, who do people say I am? That was up here. And he, maybe he was giving them a vision of the greater world around them. But that's as far as Jesus ever went. He was just down here. 
So this is describing men. Now Saul was from Tarsus. That's way up here. Saul was a Greek citizen, even though he's a Pharisee. He's from here, but he went down and trained in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. But he's from Tarsus. He goes down here, but you know what happens in his early days is he, he's so bold and so, you know, he, he just brings, he just brings trouble because he's a little rough around the edges in the beginning. And, and so the, the, the brothers and sisters are almost kind of like, we love you, but can you, can you leave? You know, because... And he kind of, you get the feeling, there's just limited detail, but you're feeling he gets kind of discouraged. So he goes back to his homeland of Tarsus, um, where he was when he saw the vision was on his way to Damascus. That's right there. So he goes back to Tarsus. But these people who were scattered by the persecution, they were from, remember at the beginning of Acts, they come together from all these other places. Right. And then they stay there in Jerusalem. So they're from these other places. So when they're scattered, they're like, okay, I guess we'll go back to our, our hometown or whatever. So some men from Cyprus, it says, this is Cyprus, that, and then Cyrene. Cyrene is way over here. That is actually modern-day Libya, so that's Africa. So these are guys who became disciples. They're part of the early church, and they're kind of headed home, or, or leaving Jerusalem anyway, and they start preaching to Greeks here in Antioch. And so what happens is a, a, a large church grows up there in Antioch. And uh, scholars have said the church there may have been as big as 10,000 people at some point. Uh, Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And think of the vastness of the Roman Empire. It was a very, very significant Roman city. So just by getting to Antioch, the whole flavor of the early church has greatly changed. From this little Jewish movement down here to now in, 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 it, they're, they're right there in the Roman Empire. And, uh, you know, when you read more about it, you, you see, uh, you know, kind of what happened. And, and the, the church in Jerusalem is like, oh, this is great, but we want to make sure everything is, is working out with these Gentile believers. And are we on the same page? And so they send Barnabas up there. Barnabas was a, Barnabas is not his real name. Uh, I can't remember what his real name was. You guys remember? I can't remember. Anyway, Barnabas means son of encouragement. That was his nickname. Uh, uh, his nickname was Barnabas, so th this is a super encouraging guy from Jerusalem. He goes up there, and he goes to Antioch, and he sees, wow, this is incredible. All these disciples, everybody's full of faith. I'm so encouraged. And he goes, you know who would be perfect to minister here is Saul. Uh, Barnabas was kind of the only guy that was sticking up for Saul there in the beginning. And uh, so he goes, Saul, this would be great for Saul. So he, he goes to Tarsus, and he gets Saul and brings him back. And so then Barnabas and Saul are working there in the ministry together in Antioch for a good chunk of time, a number of years. And so Antioch becomes so important to the early church and the development of Christianity. Because what, what Saul and Barnabas then do, let me show you, this is, this is what we were just looking at, the Holy Land, so now we're expanding out. You guys like that effect? Isn't that awesome? I worked hard on that, so I had to do it twice. Oh, yeah. So, um, so they spread, they expand out, and so then this is all the places where Saul and Barnabas go. Here's Rome. Uh, Saul ends up in Rome at the end of Acts. So can you see how the, it's, it was just this little Jewish group, 120 believers. Now there's churches all over here, and there's, church, there's churches down here. Isn't that inspiring? Yeah. That's through the ministry of Saul and Barnabas, and that's from, or Paul, he, became, he goes by his Greek name later, Paul. We mostly know him as Paul. It all started there from Antioch. Antioch was the launch pad. Amen. And so God, God uses these hidden figures. God uses these brothers and sisters who, 
were, were under the gun. They were scattered by persecution. They were on the run for their faith. We don't know their names. We don't know their stories. But we know that if not for them, there may have never been a Paul the Apostle. There may have never been a, a Gentile ministry. We might not be here today if it hadn't been for the faith of these brothers and sisters and, uh, and their, own, their own refusal to back down, their own refusal to, to fit in or shut up or, or hide out. You know, these are not apostles. They're not evangelists. They're not teachers. We don't even know their names, but they're heroes of the faith. They're, modern, they're hidden figures right. that God really used. And why is that important? Because... You know, there are stories of, of, of people in the Bible that we know their names, we know their stories, and that's really important, but, but, but none of that would matter if it wasn't for everybody else around them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so each one of us, you and I, we, when you get to the book of Revelation, it's interesting because there's no stories of any particular people in, in, in heaven. It's just this multitude no one could count. You know, it, it's just all, it, it's kind of beyond individuals at that point. It's, it's, we're caught up in this incredible crowd of, of testimony of witnesses. We're part of something so much bigger than ourselves. Right. And there's something about us that yearns for that, to make a difference, but for it to be about something that's bigger than you and I and our own you know, in, independent dreams and the things we want to try to accomplish. I want my life to count, but for a greater cause. Amen. Don't you? And that's what's so amazing about real Christianity is God is able to use the, the individual sacrifices that you make. If you are sold out for Jesus, if you really deny yourself, carry your cross every day, if you really do share your faith on your own and, and you have quiet times and you do what's right, God's going to multiply what you have done. And, 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 and God's going to work through all of us in an ama amazing way. Just to share about uh, some modern day hidden figures. Um, Oh, I wanted to mention this before I do. Uh, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That is uh, Acts 11.26. If you've been around a while, you, you know this verse, and you, you kind of understand it, but for those who are newer, if you're visiting with us, this is important because if you want to do a Bible study for what it means to be a Christian, you really have to do a Bible study of what does it mean to be a disciple because disciple is the word the Bible uses for a Christian. That's the word Jesus uses. He talks about being, if you want to be my disciple, here's what it means. He never used the word Christian. Uh, so the, it was used first here in Antioch. The reason, whoops, the reason it was used there was this is the first place where non-Jews are. The Jews never would have called these guys Christians because they didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. But here you have the non-Jews, the, the Roman audience, hearing these people talking about this poor uh, Nazarene who supposedly is king. Uh, Christ means king. And, uh, and so they called him little Christs. Right. Christian means little Christ or little Christ followers. And, uh, little Jesuses. And so uh, we, we, we've carried on that name to today. Even today that's the word most people use is Christian. But it's kind of been, it's lost a lot of its, its, its meaning in a sense. Christian kind of just can mean anything. Just, yeah, I, I, I think Jesus was real, and then, okay, you're a Christian then. That's not what Jesus expected of his followers. So, so there's a difference there. And this is an important idea that it's the disciples of Christ, they, they carry on this name Christian, but being a follower of Jesus really means to be his disciple, be a student, to be a learner, to be trained by him, to give up your life for him. So anyway, I was just going to share a few modern-day hidden figures that I've just stories I've been hearing this last week even. Um, I'm in classes in Pepperdine, and Pepperdine is a university that was founded by the, the Mainline Church of Christ 
we have a common heritage with them here in our church, uh, International Churches of Christ. And um, uh, they, they, they uh, occasionally have different people who've gone out into missions, uh, come back. And I was in class on Monday uh, night, and this couple came in who uh, had gone to Pepperdine and gone out uh, to try to share their faith. You know, they really wanted to go out into the world. And so they moved to Korea. They were able to live there uh, and make a living from teaching English, which wasn't necessarily what they wanted to do, but they just wanted to get out on the mission field. And so they're, they're sharing their faith and they're, they're, they're trying to be Christians and trying to make a difference there in Korea. And God opens up a, a window for them to be able to go to Nepal. And uh, they go to Nepal and God just puts on their heart to start a church in Nepal. And uh, th there's thousands and thousands, really millions of people in these villages, but there's hundreds of different languages. And so now they're in Nepal in this little, trying to build a church in a city in Nepal, in a little village in Nepal where there's no written language. It's only an oral language. And, uh, and they have, uh, they've established a kindergarten there as kind of their way in to share the gospel. Uh, and they have a vision of, of really changing the face of Nepal. Because this area, you talk to people about Jesus and nobody's ever heard of Jesus. They're like, Who's, oh, is, he, is he an American? Uh, you know, they, they, or they, is he still alive, or is he current, is he, is, some, is he a political figure? They just have no idea who Jesus is, and, and, uh, and that's really what they want to do. But, but they, the people from this area are Tibetan Buddhists, and very strong in their religion, and uh, there was an earlier couple there who had tried to, to establish some uh, Christianity there, and they were killed, they were martyred, they were stoned to death, modern day. Uh, this couple was. Uh, but their daughter is now uh, working with this couple in this village uh, that they, and, and at the school. They have about six younger people who are working with them in the school to try to build missions there. And they're helping people become Christians, but, but covertly and underground and one by one and soul by soul. And it's hard work, but they just have this incredible vision to reach Nepal with the gospel, reach these people who've never heard of Jesus before. And I was, as I was hearing their story, I just felt so convicted about, it's way too easy for me to not share with my neighbor, you know, or not uh, make more friends on my kid's soccer team, or, or not talk to people who, I, I have no fear of being stoned to death, probably. I mean, it could happen, but it's pretty unlikely. Uh, and, uh, and people have heard of Jesus, but all around, there, there's so much misunderstanding of who Jesus really was or what Jesus really taught, or what the Bible really says. It's a fertile ground all around us. They are working so hard for every soul in Nepal, which I appreciate, but what holds me back from, from sharing my faith here? Uh, and the next day, uh, on Tuesday this last week, we had a get-together with the staff uh, from the Inland Empire, and we heard some stories about the Middle East. And, um, you know, just a couple stories from there. Uh, I, I don't know if you heard about Maher, who was one of the main leaders over there. He, he died in a car accident a number of years ago, maybe two or three years ago. Um, and it was really sad and difficult and a hard time for the church, kind of like we're feeling with Kevin or like uh, these, these brothers and sisters we're feeling with Stephen. But uh, surrounding this, surrounding Maher dying, this brother who had fallen away 10 years earlier, left the church 10 years earlier, he comes to be with the disciples as they're uh, remembering Maher, and he, he says, I want to come back. I want to want my faith restored. And so he, he gets restored, 
but he's from Syria, Muslim background, and he has to go back. So he just says, I want to start a church in Syria. You know, I, I got to go back anyway, so I want to start a church there. So he goes back to Syria, uh, which we're hearing about Syria a lot in the headlines. And, uh, and he baptized, he, first he baptizes two people. In order to get him baptized, though, he, has to, he, he brings them from Syria over into Jordan. Uh, and, and they study together because this guy's kind of new and he, and he wants help. So they study, they baptize him in Jordan, send him back. Anyway, at this point, there's, this is a couple years ago, so at this point, there's 30 disciples in Syria uh, in this underground church. It's ISIS-controlled territory. They're all from a Muslim background. Uh, and, and Mike Rock was saying in this city where they are, they, ISIS will crucify people and, and, and leave them alive where the parents and little kids walk through just to show them this is what will happen if you... Uh, you know, go against us. It's just, it's very raw. It's very rough. It's very, very, very dangerous. And so I don't know this guy's name. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, the names of the brothers and sisters, those 30 brothers and sisters. They're hidden figures to me, but they are uh, doing important work for the gospel that can inspire all of us. And God is working through them. We just, we just aren't aware of what's going on in the, whole, the way the Holy Spirit is working uh, all around. Uh, one other story from the Middle East, uh, in uh, Yemen, there's these two guys that found one of our brothers, Sammy. You might know Sammy's story. He was impersonated. He was imprisoned, not impersonated. I don't know where that came from. He was imprisoned and tortured for his faith um, a number of years ago. But he does online Bible studies. And so these two guys from Yemen found him online, you know, through its Arabic Bible study. And uh, they said they wanted to study the Bible. But they had to be really careful because these could be undercover, maybe that's where impersonated come from. They could be undercover impersonating somebody that's open, but really wanting to bring down Sammy and what he's doing. So they had to be really careful, but they ended up you know, being genuine. They studied the Bible, they became disciples, they got baptized, but they were able to be at, at this conference, a Middle East conference last year. And, and they said that as they gathered, it was a small little conference in a conference center, but they, these brothers were just weeping because of just being able to hold a Bible in their hands or just being able to worship, you know, being able to sing songs out loud and not be afraid. Because Yemen, again, is very, very dangerous uh, territory. Uh, but, you know, it, it's just so moving and inspiring, these brothers and sisters that are doing this. And, and we, we help, we support them. We support financially the Middle East and, and mission work in Mexico and Central America. And I'm so grateful we have this partnership. But it just, it makes me feel like, for us, disciples of sunny Southern California, you know, what, what, how, how hard is it again for Satan to keep us from being men and women of faith who carry the message with us? Good point. You know, we need to be just like these brothers and sisters we read about that wherever we go, we preach the word. Wherever you put me, I'm going to preach the word. School, neighborhood, work, you know, wherever, even if I face opposition, even if I go through difficult things, even if I'm scattered, by persecution, wherever I go, I'm going to preach the word. That needs to be who we are. Uh, there's this quote from David Platt. He says, we can't be a church settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. While Christians choose to spend their lives fulfilling the American dream instead of giving their lives to proclaiming the kingdom of God, literally billions in need of the gospel remain in the dark. 
you know, we can't miss what's supposed to be radical about our faith and replace it with comfortable, being comfortable. And so I just want to call you guys uh, and call myself, call all of us to, to be hidden figures, you know, on our job, in our neighborhood, at our school, wherever we are, that we're going to be ambassadors for Christ. We're going to be uh, soldiers for the gospel. We're going to spread the word and God will use it. God will multiply it in ways we don't even know and we can't even be aware of. So three practical things I want to leave you with. Number one, tell your story. Uh, you might think, well, I don't know the Bible that well. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know, you know, these different doctrinal things, or I don't really understand the rapture, or I don't understand this about baptism, or whatever. Just tell your story. Yeah. You know, the, the, the guy that Jesus healed, uh, uh, that was, uh, was demon-possessed, he wanted to go with Jesus, but the time wasn't right for him. Jesus says, no, you don't come with me now, but go tell your family how much the Lord has done for you. And so then it says it became known all throughout the Decapolis, these ten cities, about Jesus because this one man just went and told a story. Look, I had, I had demons, and this man healed me. Right. And uh, we all have a story to tell. That's right. And God works through that when we tell our story. Share your struggle. We are not perfect people, are we? No. We're all in a struggle of one kind or another. But that, that's a great testimony to people is just being real with where you are in your struggle and what you're trying to do. And, just being open, not being just these, you know how when you start talking to somebody about church and they kind of suddenly become like the religious lingo, you know, you say, oh yeah, what were we doing this weekend? Oh yeah, I went to this church thing and then they were, a minute, a minute ago they were telling a dirty joke or they were cussing about something, or talking about how drunk they got and then you, what did you do this weekend? Oh, I went to this, you know, memorial for a guy from my church. Oh, blessed be the, the, the Lord, you know, how great thou art, you know what I'm they start getting all religious. But that's where we can really shine. Just go, no, no, I mean, this is a real thing for me. Just share your struggle. Share who you really are. Yeah. That's so uh, not done in churches today. People are, so many church people are just sort of put on this false front. And, and I think we can really shine if we're really just real. And the third practical is just invite others to come along. You just never know how God's going to work or what God's going to do. Uh, Daniel Kim, uh, DK, is going to preach next Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but his story, uh, he'll, he might share more of his story, but he became a Christian because one of his co-workers was studying the Bible every day at lunch. And, uh, you know, he just kind of was hearing this and overhearing it. It was sort of like, hey, can I come along? You know, let me, let me, let me wow. sit on this. So let me hear about this. You know, and then DK becomes a Christian. His co-worker didn't become a Christian, but God used the whole thing for DK to come along. And that's, that's how God works, and that's what we're trying to do is just invite others. Hey, this is what I've found. This is awesome. Would you come along with me? And uh, we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to judge people. We're not trying to be down on people. We're just inviting them to come along. We're one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, right? That's, that's really what we're doing. Uh, we're going to uh, close with singing a song as we're thinking about those who've gone before us that's all about... Uh, those who are already there, you know, those who are already in paradise. And uh, just imagining them worshiping God and uh, celebrating and, 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 and that we are at some point going to join their mighty throng. And uh, it's called On Zion's Glorious Summit Stood. And uh, I just, when I, thinking about Kevin makes me think about, you know, so many others who've already gone ahead. And uh, thinking about these brothers and sisters who are reading about today, who again, we don't know their names, we don't know their stories. But we know that they sacrificed for their faith and that we're here today because of it. 
And even, even just, if you think about how do we know Stephen's story? How do we know Stephen's sermon? You know, there weren't any of his friends there. Who was there? Who was there when Steve was killed? When Stephen was killed? Saul. He was giving approval to his death. But he remembered almost every word of that sermon. Because the whole, that's the longest sermon in the book of Acts. Because even as a non-Christian who was persecuting Christ, that sermon went into his brain. And he became a Christian. He was like, wow, I remember Stephen. I remember that sacrifice. I remember how he died. What a witness to Saul. And so even, even though Stephen never saw that in his lifetime, i got to believe Stephen's, conver- Stephen's death and his sermon and the way he lived, that had a huge impact on Paul. And so you never know how God's going to work through each sacrifice that we make. So let's all stand and we're sing the song together to close out here. Aaron Doty's going to come and uh, close us out here after the song. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us. 